We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 252. It's going to be a little bit different of an episode today because we've got maybe one and a half hosts. Scott is hanging on for dear life, dealing with some summer cold. Maybe, who knows, maybe he's got some, some virus we've never heard of. Scott, are you alive over there? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm plugging along here. Unfortunately, I'm not able to make the event tonight, which I'm really, really, really bummed about, but... Um, I've been uh, been trying to stay alive for the past two days. <laughs> Something got a hold of me and hasn't let go for a while. So um, we're gonna we're gonna cruise along. We're gonna yeah we're gonna power through this. Uh, this can be your Jordan flu game, as you just said. We are recording Sunday uh, afternoon before the event, before the game tonight. So just keep that in mind as we're talking. The Yankees have just played the two games against the Mets. They have split. It's been uh, I think an eventful two games. Uh, even though it's only been two games since the All-Star break, feels like it's been a lot more than that. Well, it does, I think, because they've run the gamut of of, of uh, emotion so far. And it was similar to what, what happened before the All-Star break, where a lot of things could have gone horribly wrong the way it lined up. And after Friday night, um, we're looking at Sonny Gray on Saturday, and who knows what could possibly happen. And then obviously DeGrom tonight. So Yankees were staring down a barrel almost with uh, with what was in front of them. Luckily, Sonny Gray actually came out and pitched decently. It was well he pitched well for Sonny Gray, that's for sure. Definitely good, good enough to get them a win. Barely, we'll talk about the ninth inning uh, debacle with Chapman. But I saw I've seen a lot of people complaining that as the Yankees are slipping back in the division, as we're recording their four and a half games in back of the Red Sox, uh, that maybe Cashman not trading for a starting pitcher sooner is letting the division slip away. Do you agree with that? I mean, I don't necessarily think so because the what we're looking at on the on the market right now is just nothing all that great. And I think he's got to kind of let things come to him as well. You're not seeing a lot of these starting pitchers. Uh, one, all the majority of the starting pitchers that have been available have been downright terrible uh, as of recently. And, you know, if you're adding, if you're looking at some of the, you know, the numbers of what these guys have done, adding them to the to the roster is not helping this team. So I think he's waiting for a situation that is going to play in their interest and he's not, you know, pushing the 
um, pushing the limits just to go out and get somebody for the sake of going out and getting somebody. He wants to make sure he goes out and gets the right guy for the right package. And I, and I also think, as we mentioned last week, that if the Red Sox, the Red Sox have lost two games since they left Yankee Stadium, right. what was three weeks ago at this point, they've only lost two games. So that is going to make things look a lot worse than maybe they really are. However, I do understand that if you get to the July 31st trade deadline and you're five or six games back, that's kind of putting yourself in an unnecessary hole. Um, but like you said, I don't know. I don't know if trading for somebody like Ja Happ or, or uh, Cole Hamels or any of these mediocre number four, number five starting pitchers would make that much of a difference at this point. That's the thing. Unless you're going out and getting that top flight guy for um, you know a ridiculous package, which just seems as the as the days go on, it, it really does seem like uh, all these guys are not even that much of not even that available at this point. Um, there's just there's no there's no guaranteed guy in there that's going to come in and help your uh, help your team be effective in a way that is going to put them over the hump. I mean, there are some guys out there that are that are going to eat some innings and and will do some do some good and improve the back of the rotation. But there's not a guarantee in there that's saying, oh, I'm going to roll this guy out. He's going to help us, you know, climb that four and a half, five game uh, deficit. It's just it's just not there right now. The, the the market is is very dry. Right. And maybe the innings eating uh, guy at the back of the rotation is still valuable, especially what Domingo Herman has not been giving the Yankees. We're going to get to Herman in a second. <clears throat> maybe. Um, <clears throat> Maybe Brian Cashman is looking to hire a new starting pitcher. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of uh, resumes, confusing review process. Today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Bronx. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With the powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find the people with the right experience and invite them to apply for your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Bronx, ZipRecruiter.com slash Bronx, B-R-O-N-X. You know how to spell the Bronx, ZipRecruiter.com slash Bronx. So, like I said, uh, Yankees... uh, could not get anything out of Herman to, to start the second half. And it's a real shame because the Mets are just such a dysfunctional team. Like the stuff with, with Cespedes, it really highlights how much of a joke the Mets have been this year. I mean, it's, it's not like this is new stuff with Cespedes either. This guy has always kind of flown to his own, you know, uh, rolled to his own, the beat of his own drum because he, he seems like, uh, you know, he's, he's just on a different wavelength than everybody else. He's the guy who goes out and plays golf before games occasionally. Like, this guy does all these things. And we all know about Aaron Hicks, how he's such a great scratch golfer. He even goes out and only plays uh, during the All-Star break. I heard he played out in, in, uh, in Arizona in the 119-degree heat in the afternoons. So, you know, this is a guy that, that really just does his own thing and, and talking about how he needs surgery. Even, uh, you know, the, the Mets don't are like, no, you don't need surgery. He's like, yes, I do need surgery. I'm hurt. I'm too hurt. <laughs> I'm too hurt, but I'm going to go out there at DH, get two hits and hit a home run on Friday. So that, yeah, I, that home run was a, go- it was, that was such a, that was such a, hey, uh, it a, might've a been a cheap home run. Yeah. It might've been a cheap home run, but it's still a home run nonetheless. Home run. And for, for the Mets officials, for, for Mickey Calloway and the, and the Mets front office to be sitting there watching that press conference and Cespedes talking about how he needs surgery, they're totally blindsided. I mean, that's the first thing. That's just been a joke with the Mets this week. And the second thing was the familiar trade that was in process on Friday night and on Saturday. So their their bullpen was a man short. They're out without their closer, their best bullpen arm, the, the first two games of that series. That's another thing that's just kind of a joke. And also the defense that they displayed, especially with Den Decker on, on Saturday afternoon. I mean, I know we're sitting here. It's been a split so far. Hopefully the Yankees can get this series win. But it's the, it's the teams like this. It's the, it's the bottom-feeding Mets that the Yankees are going to have to start to demolish if they're going to catch the Red Sox in the division. You know, we talked about how the Red Sox have had, uh, did start the season with a, a much easier schedule, and they were rolling through all of these easy teams. 
Well, now the Yankees have one of the easiest schedules, if not the easiest schedule, if you look at winning percentage-wise against the opponents in the second half. And they're going to have to roll through these teams. And it's been a problem in the first half. We're losing to teams like the Orioles, the Mets, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. You know, these are the teams that the Yankees have, for whatever reason, played down to. And unless they start, you know, getting their getting their act together and playing well against these bad teams and taking care of them, they're not going to have a chance at the division because the Red Sox are coming up against some, uh, you know, more formidable opponents than the Yankees in the second half overall. Um, I still think a lot of those the uh, a lot of the division is going to be determined when the Yankees and the Red Sox play. But again, if you look at the history of the Yankees and the Red Sox, you know the it's it's damn near fifty fifty. I mean, they they split the series. It's it's very close. Um, so you got to believe that it's going to be uh, not a runaway by one team or the other, and, and it's going to be relatively close in that matchup too. Right. You, you've got ten games left against the Red Sox. If you go six and four, or even seven and three. At this rate right now, where the division stands, that's not good enough to win right. a division. And it's very unrealistic to win 8 out of 10 against a team as evenly matched as the Red Sox. Yeah, yeah. You just definitely you definitely cannot go into a matchup with the Red Sox expecting to win 8 out of 10 in order to win your division. So right. the, the work needs to be done against these bad teams. And Herman comes out Friday night, just does not give the Yankees a chance from the very first inning. He has now a 9 ERA in his 13 starts uh, in the first inning. It's uh, cla- We've seen this before with Michael Pineda, yeah. where he just, for whatever reason, goes out in the first inning and, and looks like a minor league pitcher. Well, guess what? Now Domingo Herman is back to being a minor league pitcher because the Yankees had seen enough after Friday night. Yeah, it's really disheartening to see the the way that he struggled so badly in the first half. We used to make the joke about with with Pineda, like let him go out into the and uh, warm ups and throw triple the amount of pitches so that he thinks he's in the third inning. And you know the joke applies to to uh, Herman because it, this guy for whatever reason would would settle down once he got into the game. Um, it's just it's I don't know how you explain something like that where a guy doesn't either you know he's not uh, emotionally ready to go he's not focused enough his arms not ready I, I don't know what it is but you know after the first inning in many of his starts we've seen him come in and and lock it down and become one of those guys who has you know very good stuff but it doesn't translate on uh, on a big league level for you know five six seven innings if you can't get out of the first inning without a, what is it a nine ERA? I mean, it's just it's unbearable. It's you can't do it. It was three runs on Friday, but I understand, I guess, um, explaining it how it's a problem for some guys conceptually. I understand that, but I think the bigger issue is how do you fix something like that? We joked throw triple the amount of pitches, like you just said. But I, I'm sure they've tried that, right? I'm sure they've tried to have him go through more rigorous warm-ups to make it seem to simulate the fact that he is deeper into the game. And if they haven't tried that, I think that's stupid. But how do you fix something like that? Yeah, I don't know. I think I see. I don't even believe that it's a it's a physical thing. You know, if it's if it's a preparation thing and they're not preparing their way, um, you know, they're not mixing up the way that they prepare to get into the start. Is uh, you know that's that's the first thing you gotta do. You gotta try to mix things up, but it, it's to me it's a mindset thing. If you're if you're not mentally into the game, you're not mentally focused. You're not really you know prepared between the ears at that point to get in the game and effectively um, execute your pitches. Then you got trouble. So I, I do think it's a lot of this is Herman on Herman mentally preparing for the game because you know once you get into the game and you get into the flow of it, it's almost like you stop thinking and you just start going. It's like there's too much too much uh, thinking going on in the first inning and it just gets the better of him. Well, they said when they sent him down that they want Herman to work on his mechanics. So does that lead you to believe that maybe in the first inning he is not mechanically sound, but then can somehow get into a rhythm and figure it out in later innings? Maybe uh, I think just consistency. Having him, the, the, he's not consistent throughout the start, and, and whether that's only in the first inning with the mechanics, or there's a, um, you know, him leading to the fact that he's not mentally there to to execute the the mechanics properly in the first inning. I don't know. Uh, I think it's probably not one thing, honestly, with with a guy like this who has such good stuff. As we right. as we talked about, people that. get complaining. People get annoyed by saying that, and I do too. I get it. Um, because it's annoying when you see a guy that has such great stuff uh, and cannot execute on it and cannot deliver on it time and time again. I feel like you and I were on Team Herman from the very beginning because of that stuff, because of the swing and miss numbers that we have cited before. 
But to a certain point, it doesn't matter. You have to like you have to put up or shut up. There needs to be results on the scoreboard, and there just haven't been. His ERA is over six. It's just he's been too bad, too inconsistent. I don't expect the Yankees to give up on him. Like they're gonna keep keep having him work in the minor leagues, and I think they do like his stuff. But wasn't able to figure it out at at the majors this year. Oh, I mean, I think we're going to see him again this year. I think the the way that this rotation is panning out for the rest of the year, I still think we're going to see him <laughs> again. I mean, don't 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 forget that the guy that's coming up to take his spot is Luis Sessa, who right. is also a a guy that you know a toolsy guy has the stuff, has the good stuff, but has not been able to put it together on the grand on the grand scale, um, and, and been consistent with it. So they're they're relatively. They're they're similar in the sense that they both have good stuff and they just haven't been able to put it together on the on their major league level for uh, a consistent time for starting. You know, they I think they've both come in as relievers and been effective, but as a starting pitcher, neither one of these guys has has uh, has put it together. Sessa at least is building off of his last start. He had a Great. very very good start, and you know we'll see how he can come in uh, the next time when Herman's spot comes around. Right, he had six shutout innings against the Orioles the, in that doubleheader that they played before the All Star break, but. Uh, at this point, the, the trade deadline is only nine days away. So that's one more start for Sessa before maybe, hopefully, they acquire a starting pitcher. And then obviously it's going to be Sessa who comes out of the rotation unless something drastic happens with an injury or, or who knows what. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's going to be the guy. But again, you know, we're, we're going to see, we're going to see more, than, uh, more than whoever they acquire if they end up doing, uh, acquiring somebody. They're, we're going to see another one of these guys come up from the uh, minor leagues, and probably two or three of them at some point during the season, uh, to to pitch and start some games because we know how um, we know how injuries happen, we know how uh, rainouts happen, and doubleheaders happen, and who the hell knows what, especially in this season, uh, they're going to be needed. I would like to know what uh, Domingo Acevedo did for his twelve hours in New York City. Because he was called up when Herman was sent down, called up from Double A, and then sent back down right after the game. So hope he enjoyed his train ride up from Trenton. You know, it's funny because the uh, he got a nice fresh uniform. He had uh, we heard about the phone call that he made down to uh, I think the Dominican Republic to his mother, who thought something was wrong, and he said, "Mom, calm down. It's not. I'm actually getting called up." Little little did he know he was getting sent back down. But the entire reason he was there was Sonny Gray Insurance. That was the only reason he was there. <laughs> he is a starting pitcher. He has been set up as a starting pitcher. And I got fireworks going off. And he is a uh, he was definitely insurance for Sonny Gray. Fireworks at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. But Goddamn uh, kids. Quickly on Acevedo. He's the Yankees' seventh overall prospect. He's had a good season in Double A, two eighty-four ERA in fifty and a third innings pitched. And I also think that he has the potential to uh, be a really good pitcher because his nickname is probably Ace. Is it? Is it Ace? <laughs> How could it not be? Yeah, it's perfect for him. You know, I, this he's in Double A right now. This is a guy that is definitely a, a highly touted. Um, Guy for the Yankees that they're they're looking forward to him coming up. It was just to me it was a very weird situation for him to come up because he's been stretched out because he's been a starting pitcher, and I, I purely think it was all, all one thousand percent because they had zero faith in Sonny Gray, and that sure. was the reason he was there. I mean, and that's kind of crazy when you think about it because the one reason he was there after what happened on Friday night and they had to go into the bullpen deep because um, Herman was so bad. Uh, they brought Acevedo up just in case Sonny Gray blew up in the first two innings. That was the and reason. It- and it was a real possibility. Yeah. Um, people were complaining I also that why are the Yankees going with Herman and then Sonny Gray to start the second half of the season and holding out on guys like uh, Severino and Sabathia and Tanaka. And I, and I know Boone gave the excuse that they wanted to give Severino and Sabathia extra days. I buy that. I believe it. But uh, someone, a few people pointed this out on Twitter. Mark Schaefer tagged me in a tweet and said, if you look at how the rotation lines up for the August 2nd to August 5th series against the Red Sox, that would line up for Tanaka, Severino, and Sabathia to pitch in three of those four games. And who knows, maybe they acquire another starting pitcher. That's the fourth guy to go in that game. So I actually think maybe they're not going to come out and say this, but that had something to do with it. I'm sure it had something to do with it. If you look at the calendar and the way that they're going to line up for that game, I mean, we just talked about they have 10 games left with the Red Sox. Those 10 games are ever important. So you got to make sure that your guys are, are lined up for, uh, for teams like that. And theoretically, you're playing the Mets, right? The Mets are terrible. Should be able to go out there and get some wins um, with, uh, with some starting pitchers that you throw out there, no matter what their names are. So they, they, it worked out with Sonny Gray. 
and, and that's great. Herman, you could have, uh, it, it was, he's Jekyll and Hyde. He's the new Jekyll and Hyde uh, before he got sent down. And we don't, we don't have to bother with it, with the Jekyll and Hyde any longer, but you know, he, they could have gotten a very good start out of him and everybody would have been like, wow, that was great. And praised Boone for saying, you know, for resting his guys and lining up for that series and, and stealing a couple wins, but it didn't work out. They tried to chip away against Syndergaard. They had 14 hits in the game. They went two for 13 with runners in scoring position and left 14 men on base. So come back from the all-star break. Same old story with this team leaving guys on base. I think that's one of the bigger stories, actually. Rather, I mean, Herman was not good. There's no doubt. But when you look at the opportunities that were lost in that game for, for the Yankees against Syndergaard, um, they really had opportunities to take him out. And he, he pitched, I think, further into the game than, than I expected because, you know, with the amount of hits that they were getting off of him, um, they just couldn't take advantage of a damn thing. And it was a, it was a real shame because they, they, they truly had opportunities to, to get in there deep um, and, and knock him out early, and uh, they just couldn't take advantage of it. There was a big spot. Sanchez was up in the eighth inning with two runners on. Hicks was actually intentionally walked in front of him, and uh, Sanchez struck out. Uh, it, I mean, you can only get on someone so much for coming back right after the All-Star break, or excuse me, right after injury after the All-Star break, um, but that was a big spot that it, it didn't work out, and the Yankees couldn't get to uh, Gazelman, who was clearly gassed, and they weren't going to Familia, and you're just like, the Mets are trying to hand this game to the Yankees, and they couldn't take it. Yeah, and Kizelman came back out again. Like that guy, I was very surprised when he came back. Uh, came back out. Um, Sanchez still, you know, I know he just he just came back, but I, I really hope he can get uh, a nice little streak at some point in the near future and find some confidence because he still just looks like he's flailing at that outside breaking ball again, um, and, and not and and just doesn't look comfortable. He just really doesn't look comfortable. Uh, and I know it's been a while since he's he's been out. You know, he had a, a rehab and now he's back. And unless he could really shore up that that strike zone and and, and you know being um, more protective at the plate with with not swinging up balls outside the zone, we're going to see uh, him to continue to struggle. And I saw a stat over the weekend that Sanchez is among the top five in baseball for least amount of fastballs seen. Oh no! And, why would you throw him a fastball? Right, and well, that we've said that about Judge too, and and Stanton at certain times, but. It's up to the player, it's up to Gary Sanchez to make the adjustment. And I know he said this. He said this uh, when he came back, that I, I know why pitchers are getting me out. I am chasing the breaking ball off the plate. It's one thing to say it, just like it's one thing for Sonny Gray to say, I was bad, I need to be better. You need to actually go out there and be better. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's uh, pretty accurate. you got to be better to actually be better. The, um, the, the fact that he's, he's identifying it, that's, that's the first that's the first step, right? It's a realization. Step it's one into re- in step one in recovery is admitting you have a problem. There you go. And you know when he can go out there and do it. We saw Judge and now Stanton have pretty much fixed that. Judge fixed that like two years ago, but you know he's still susceptible a little bit. But for the most part, he can lay off that pitch, and he has you know that discipline within the strike zone, and that's that's what Gary Sanchez needs. He needs that discipline in order for him to get better pitches across the uh, the meat of the plate that he can do damage. Because when that ball is over the plate and it's and it's something that, that he's looking for in his zone, um, you know, he can, he can do ridiculous damage to the ball. I was, I'm also curious, uh, when did you see the play when, when Gary was just jogging down the first baseline on something that maybe he could have beaten out because it was a slow roller to third base, Joey Bats playing third base, who actually made a decent play on the ball. But Sanchez was just barely running out of the box, almost like he was too too afraid to re-injure his groin. Yeah, I think Michael Kay called him out for it too. Didn't he? Uh, he said something about not him. necessarily calling it out for for not running as much as just questioning. Well, are you healthy? Right. Yeah, and that's a. I think that's probably a, a good question. It's not like Gary Sanchez busts his ass down the line in the first place. It's not like he's the most... Uh, bust his ass enough to pull a groin muscle. <laughs> well, I don't know how much you actually have to bust your ass for Gary, to be More Gary than Sanchez the 12% and, and effort he was running on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, nobody ever wants to see that. It's not, it's not fun to see when, when there's a, uh, one of your guys is out there not, not running down the line. It's just it's not good to see. But I, I'm sure that he's being more careful um, in the beginning rather than busting it out. He did this last year when he came back from... Um, uh, an injury too. He was he had the bicep injury. Him. People were getting on him for 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 different things. He had, yeah, but there was something going on with knees. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I think it's uh, I, I think it's really much ado about nothing. 
Well, remember when he went on the DL, we talked about how Boone kind of called out his conditioning a little bit. He did call him out. He, he, could, he could be in a better condition. Uh, he, he's, he's not a, high, a highly tuned, finely tuned athlete. Uh, he's a catcher. He looks like Sal Fasano from the waist below. And, uh, you know, he's not going to run fast. And he's probably going to loaf it a couple times because that's what catchers a lot of times they do. Oh, and it's so shitty that he's actually hitting like Sal Fasano right now, too. No. He needs to start hitting like Gary Sanchez. Again. If Gary Sanchez could grow a Sal Fasano mustache, now that would be something. Sure I think that would really help him out. Sonny Gray was in the big spot at home. We wanted to see, right? We, we were talking about boxes that Sonny Gray needed to check. He needs to come back, pitch at home. That's the first box. He hasn't pitched against a good team at home yet, but that'll be the second box. But he was at home coming off the All-Star break, coming off a good start. I thought it was a big spot for Sonny Gray, especially after the Yankees did not win on Friday. And he looked okay. I don't want to say he looked great, but he looked, he looked decent, which is, for him, an improvement. Yeah, and you know the before the sixth inning when he walked those two guys, he um, I thought he looked good. I thought he, I thought he had some uh, some some sharp stuff. I thought his breaking ball looked really good. That curveball, he was throwing at different speeds. Um, he was pinpointing it. I think from maybe the fourth inning, fourth, fifth, and sixth inning, he started nibbling a little bit more. Was what uh, wasn't getting ahead of guys as much, um, and, and we started to see him kind of tail off to that that other Sunny Gray. The, the one mistake was, you know, not really a terrible mistake. It was a fastball that Conforto just jumped on and, and hit, a, hit over the wall. I'm, I really wasn't concerned about that, like, in the least bit that, that he gave up that home run. I thought that was more on the, the tip your hat to Conforto um, rather than it was a, a big mistake on Sonny Gray's part. Yeah, solo home runs are not going to kill you. Um, Tanaka knows that firsthand. But you could tell what Conforto was doing, and the Mets were starting to the swing. The Mets were doing it for sure, yeah. They were starting to attack that first-pitch fastball because this is what Sonny Gray did in his last start against Baltimore, too. He stuck with the two-seam fastball and the curveball. I think he threw, I think I heard um, on the postgame, 76% of his pitches were either two-seamers or curveball. And you, again, the, the curveball is different because he could throw it at different speeds, and it, and it plays differently when he throws that curveball. And the two-seam... I thought his two seam was looked pretty good on uh, on Saturday because he had some really good movement from the uh, a, a, when a, on a lefty uh, coming back the Gre- to the plate. The Greg Maddox, it, yeah, exactly. And it was, I mean, Greg Maddox would throw it on the black every single time, but um, Sonny Gray was uh, a lot of time missing it on the inside. Uh, he wasn't getting the the full movement, or he was starting it too far in. But I thought it looked good. I thought the movement was good on it. I thought it was a uh, you know an effective pitch. He just wasn't able to throw it for strikes, uh, especially from the fourth inning on. I was noticing it more. You know, he was losing that losing that ball off the plate, and he was trying to be perfect, and it just you know wasn't there. He left in the sixth inning. He walked the two guys, and you could tell Boone had no patience for Sonny Gray. I'm sure if it was any other pitcher, Savathia or Severino or even Tanaka, who did that, he would have left him out there to try to battle through. But Boone has seen enough of this act from Sonny Gray before where he wasn't going to let him dick around out there. Well, yeah, and his pitch count was getting up there. Uh, you know, I want to say it was in the 90s, right? It was, uh, it was in the low 90s, I think, at that point. Um, and he had to make a decision. You know, am I going to let Sonny Gray make this worse? Or are we going to say, okay, the line will say this is a decent outing. He'll have some confidence at home. Let's build on this. And I think he made the right move in pulling him out. It was, the, it was by far the right move. Even though both of those are underscored, yeah, well, that's fine. It doesn't matter. You got to get this all. All it doesn't matter how you get this guy back. You got to get this guy back. So you have to hold his hand on the way back. You have to. There was um, interesting kind of floating around reports on Sunday morning from Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe, uh, quoting from his article. There are a couple teams sending scouts to watch Gray pitch as the second half opens. Are the Yankees trying to move Gray? That's the impression some teams are getting. So maybe the Yankees, as they're talking to these teams, these low market teams, do you want to take Sonny Gray? Do you want our problem? We'll take on maybe your problem or something. Who knows? It's hard for me to believe that they would get any value from Sonny Gray right now. And, and the fact that they have scouts looking at him, you know, maybe there are, I guarantee there are teams out there who think that they could go out and pull a Cashman and get Sonny Gray at a very low price. Uh, and, and, you know, have him for a couple more years because they don't think this is really what he is. Or they think that maybe the big market is affecting him too much. And, you know, let's let's go out and talk to him. Uh, and if he were to come back into a small market, 
you know, he would be more the, the real Sonny Gray. And, and that has something to do with it. So I'm sure there's people out there trying to fleece uh, Cashman on, on Sonny Gray at this point. But there's no value there to me. I don't know how you do that. Not, not to mention you're taking away another starting pitcher who, you know, we've I, theoretically we've already seen the worst of this year, right? I mean, you're, you're trying to get this guy back on the hump, and it looks like he's starting to come back, uh, you know, relatively speaking, to, uh, to, the, to the mean, if not to the good side. And I, I don't know if, there's, um, if it makes sense to move him at this point. I, I think you just kind of have to ride it out. The only way I could see Cashman moving Sonny Gray for the only reason I think would be to take some salary off so they could add some more salary and still stay under the luxury tax. Because otherwise, like you said, they're getting, they're getting peanuts for him. Yeah. And I mean, if we're, if we're talking about the salary move, then, then we're talking about some significant player. And if that's the case, then maybe. But it would have to be a significant pitcher uh, that would allow for, for, for Cashman to get you know whoever that person is and another guy so that they can fill the rotation. Right, and the rotation's already thin as it is with the number five spot being yeah. taken up by Herman and Sessa and Loisica. I know that people are saying, well, well, Sonny Gray's the next guy to come out of the rotation, and I agree with that. But if you're, if you're trading him, now you have to fill two spots on the rotation, which, which you're just creating more problems for yourself. I don't think Sonny Gray's coming out of this rotation at any point because they need him. They need him to do well. And, you know, over the last two starts, we're seeing a better Sonny Gray. So that's what we have to look for. And, and again, I've said this before. I think Cashman is looking at this and the Yankees are looking at Sonny Gray. And they almost have to depend on him to be back to a point where they can rely on him to a certain extent. Because there's nobody else out there that is, is going to, um, that, that's able to take that spot. They are basically handcuffed with him. They need him to be back. So I'm pretty sure that I was the reason... Aroldis Chapman could not throw strikes on Saturday. Did you what? see what I tweeted as they, as he and Shreve were warming up uh, in the bullpen? I tweeted out a screenshot of them, and I said, you versus the guy she tells you not to worry about. And it yeah. was obviously making fun of Chase and Shreve, who right. ended up having to come in and save the Yankees and save Chapman's ass. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I didn't see your tweet, but I think a lot of other people had the same sentiment uh, when you saw the two guys out there, and then the fourth run scored, and you're like, oh, shit, Shreve's going to come in now. And it didn't work out that way at all because Baraldus Chapman, in a non-save situation, had no idea what to do. Different. I don't know what to do. It's like it's like the first inning of a, a Domingo Herman start. I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, it's almost like Chapman. This was the first time he was pitching in spring training. Like I just, I'm I'm totally rusty. I cannot find the strike zone. He couldn't even throw it right down the middle at 85 miles an hour if he tried. He couldn't do anything. It was it was terrible. Like it's it's amazing how you find a guy that that's who is that good, and one of the more dominant closers in the game cannot throw a strike if his life depended on it. Like not even a little bit. It was terrible. Sixteen, 16 out of nineteen pitches were balls. Uh, that's that's embarrassing. <laughs> that's like, embarrassing. And right after we handed handed him the midseason award of uh, most underrated star on the Yankees. Yeah, there you go. Right on cue. Yeah, uh, I I heard I was listening to Boone's post game press conference and he actually used the it wasn't a save situation excuse for Chapman, which I I almost I almost crapped myself when I heard him say that. I've never actually heard a manager use that excuse for a player. Fans use that excuse. Broadcasters use that excuse. Talk about it like it's a thing. Mariano comes in in a non safe situation. He's going to struggle more than if it's a lockdown. Something he needs to lock down for whatever reason. I get it. It happens. But for the manager to actually say that to the press, I thought was weird. Well, I mean, he's he's uh, he's almost more broadcaster than he is manager, isn't he? He's got he's got more time in the booth, uh, so a lot of these thoughts can uh, creep into your mind and stay there. And you know, maybe it is a real thing. Maybe because I'm telling you, the mindset of a player, whether they're in a closed situation or they're not in a closed situation. For this guy, for, for whatever reason, obviously matters. But it doesn't. The, the the problem I have, like I can I can see you. You know, you're not getting up as much. You're not you're not fired up as much or whatever. But the fact that you can't throw the ball over the plate, I mean, that's what you're, you're literally getting paid to throw the ball over the plate. Um, whether they hit it or not, just throw the ball over the plate. I mean, it was it was like you know little Johnny in little league who who could not throw a strike. Well, okay, so it wasn't a safe situation when he comes into the game. Before batters later, it was a safe situation. So what happened then? Yeah, I mean, it already started. Rolled downhill. Can't, you can't go from there. Then All that's when you have to go. That that's when Chase Shreve needs to come in and uh, and save the day. And let me tell you this: Chase Shreve over the All Star break 
got engaged. All right. Yeah. Now, now Jason Shreve has nothing to lose. He's, he's already a new man. He's got the girl. She already said yes. So now, now he's going out there with all this confidence. He, you know, this could have been weighing on him for a long time. Maybe, maybe this is the reason. First half, Chase Shreve was so nervous to, to. He knew the All Star break was the time, so he had to, he had to make sure that he was trying to be too perfect and just wasn't, wasn't happening. Now he can let that all go, and now he's a, uh, now a full, fully confident, fully, uh, fully ready to go guy. Yep, that bought him another couple months on the roster, probably. Yeah, and so who knows? Good, good maybe, for him. Maybe he'll be dominant. Probably not. But he's been horrible. So. Probably not. Uh, Brandon Drury was called up before Friday's game. That was the corresponding move to Clint Frazier, who was sent down right before the break. He played second, uh, Drury did, against Mats on Saturday. Um, inter- couple interesting notes on Drury. So first of all, he ended up spending enough time in the minors where now the Yankees have the extra year of control on him. I'm not sure that helps the Yankees much or much they care about that as much as maybe that boosts his trade value. And speaking of trades, Cofardo also reported that Drury was in the package that the Yankees were offering Baltimore for Machado. Uh, so I think the control thing is actually, you know, we were speculating on that. Like if it was really a, a reason why he was in the minor leagues and the fact that he got to that level where they do have that extra year of control, I, I think is, um, I think is very telling. I think it did have a lot to, I think it had something to do with it. I think this was a, you know, one of the reasons they were being more careful with him, quote unquote, uh, because they could, uh, they could, you know, have it enough, keep him down there for enough time that, uh, that he would uh, be, be controlled for that other year. Because I do think that's important, whether he's on the team or, you know, you're looking at him as a trade uh, target, having that extra year of, of control is extremely important. So, but the, when he came up before the Red Sox series, Boone said, I, we expect Jerry to be on the roster for the rest of the season. And then he played for a week, didn't hit and then got sent back down and he yeah. got sent back down because, um, wasn't it because Glaber went on the DL or no, I forget exactly how it happened, but he was sent down because they needed an extra body and, and he wasn't the guy they chose. The, I, but I still think that, you know, all this time was adding up and, and they had to get, if, if they were, if they were that close to getting him for that other year of control, of course they're going to do it. If they're, if it was that close, uh, and it seems like they did. I mean, that's they, they brought him up. Maybe. Um, and, and now they have control for another year. It, it's not a coincidence. There's no way that's a coincidence. Especially if they're looking at, uh, at, at, you know, if there's potentially of trading Andujar, and you're looking at Drury, who, who may be the third baseman of the future at that point, that's another year of control for your third baseman of the future. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Well, according to Cafardo, that Cashman was pushing Jury on the market and not Anduar. I mean, I, I think when people were asking for Anduar in the Machado deal, maybe, again, I think the Machado deal was, was so far out of left field. Like, I don't think it was remotely close to for being the Yankees. Um, but, you know, I'm sure they floated uh, uh, other names. But, they, you know, they wanted Anduar in that deal, and it just wasn't happening. The, you, you can't give up a guy like Anduar uh, for a rental. Right, and there was also reports that uh, Andujar was what San Diego was asking for for Brad Hand, and obviously Cashman hung up the phone. Right, yeah, no. That's we already good. gave you a third baseman in the offseason. His, <laughs> his name is Chase Headley, and uh, you guys cut him, so shame on you. His name is Chase Headley. They're going to have like a uh, fight club moment where they just chant <laughs> his name over and over again. That's, no, it's great. The, uh, they already gave him a third baseman, and they blew it. They, they, missed, <laughs> they missed the opportunity. They had a man there, and they missed an opportunity. That's on that. Not giving you another third baseman. Yeah, you guys no. blew it. You don't, you don't get another third baseman from us. Frazier was pulled from a game because he was feeling lightheadedness. Um, so apparently, this is, this is kind of weird the way it happened. Uh, apparently, he was feeling a little bit of lightheadedness before the game, and then he dove for a ball, didn't make the play, and then felt the symptoms even more and was pulled from the game. Uh, so it does not seem like these concussion symptoms are fully gone from Frazier, which I think is scary. I mean, it's obviously scary for him, but it's also scary from a standpoint of, well, how long is this going to last on him? Is this going to be something that's always haunting him in his career? And also, this might totally kill his trade value right now. Yeah, it's it's scary on the on the first level as a person as as you're seeing how you know this is still affecting him from from spring training. I mean it's and and when you look back at the at the play that it happened on, you just you don't see like this long term thing. It's crazy how this. You're really, talking about the spring training one. 
Yeah, the, how it affected him in the first time, right? He hit he hit the wall, he hit, hit the, the wall. wall at the back of his head, and but it didn't look that hard when he hit it. No. it like it didn't look like a, a significantly uh, damaging play. It just didn't. It didn't even look like a concussion play, honestly. No, and, you'd never say in late July we're going to still be talking about Frazier's concussions. No, uh, but my point also is that like w- you can uh, you can hit your head in any way that looks bad or good or you know in, in any way that doesn't look like a, um, a like a bad play and it can affect you because the brain gets rattled and that. That's big problems and it's still affecting him. And that's a, that's a significant problem um, for him as a person because he's getting this lightheadedness and that's not good um, as a player, obviously. Uh, but then, yeah, when we're talking about all the relevant stuff for trades and things like that, it's going to have to come into the play uh, when they're talking to other teams and other teams are looking at him. Well, like we don't know what to expect from this guy because this, this, uh, this concussion symptoms who and concussions have absolutely ended careers, you know, early. And when you're looking at a guy like that, you hope it's not that bad. You hope it's not something like that, but you can never know. And when you're doing negotiations and you're talking to other teams, um, it's going to come into it. Yeah, head, head issues. I, I always think of uh, Morneau. When he got concussed, he went from being an MVP-type player for the Twins to bouncing around for a few years. Yeah, no, it's true. It, it, he, was, he was definitely one of those guys that, that got affected in a, in a crazy way. A couple other notes on the trade deadline. Like I said, it's nine days away. Uh, there's been some injuries that guy that uh, pitchers the Yankees have been linked to. So the Tigers placed Michael Fulmer on the DL with a left oblique strain, and then the Cardinals placed Carlos Martinez on the DL with a right oblique strain. There were some Martinez Yankees rumors that were floating around. I'm still holding out for the Lizard King, but. They're out there biting the dust, these starting pitchers. These, these starting pitchers, everyone the Yankees are, are linked to, either going on the DL or just pitching like crap. Yeah, and we talked about this earlier. I mean, when you adding some of these guys in there who are not pitching well and you put them in the Yankees' rotation, is it going to help you? And uh, that, that's the biggest problem right now for, for what Cashman is dealing with. Is, is he's got to find someone out there. He's got to find a diamond in the rough who's going to come in and help this team because it's not looking like an obvious choice at all right now. And we're, what, nine days away? Nine days away. He's found diamonds in the rough before, yeah. so he can do it. But what are you going to be paying for those? And, and I, I, I still, like we talked about this before, people are saying, well, if you're not going to trade for a number two starter that's going to start in the ALDS, what's the point? There is still a point, but maybe there's, it's going to get to a, a level with these starters where there won't be a point anymore. Like, is there a difference between Herman and somebody out there? Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully there hopefully. is. But <laughs> I mean, when you're looking at major league experience and you're looking at guys who have pitched and, and are, you know, have um, the ability to go deep, because honestly, one of the one of the problems for our fifth starter right now, too, can't go deep into games. And, and, and potentially when you're looking at um, Sonny Gray as well, and even Sabathia, when you're looking at him down the stretch, I think the, the, it becomes a real concern getting starting pitching length into games. And, and maybe that's. Um, you know, one of the maybe he flips the boat and says we need to make a, be- a deal for another reliever at that point too. Uh, if we can't get the starter, we need to potentially go after the reliever. Uh, maybe it's not Han. Maybe it's somebody else who can put someone who can uh, effectively help their team um, get length from the bullpen because that may be uh, a better solution to a bad problem than going out and overpaying for some guy that may not be better than what we already have. And Hand was obviously too expensive. They were asking for Andujar. We just said, obviously not going to do that. Cleveland ended up giving up their number one prospect, Mejia, yeah. who's a catching prospect, and he was one of the top catching prospects in all of baseball. I understand this makes Cleveland much better. They had a weak bullpen. They're adding Hand and Simber to, to their bullpen. Plus, if they get Andrew Miller back, then they just fix their number one issue, and Cleveland is already a scary team, even with a weak bullpen. So one of the four playoff teams that we know is going to be there got better. Yeah, Cleveland's paid a lot of money for uh, relief pitchers in the past couple of years. A lot of uh, a lot of um, value for uh, as far as prospects. So they ca- they kind of need these things to work and 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 to make a, a very deep run and get um, into uh, ALCS World Series talks because they've paid a, a premium for for two relief pitchers from us and now in San Diego. And well, they're almost in that same conversation that the Cubs were in, where we haven't won, they haven't won since the '40s, right? Yeah. So they just need a championship, right? Yeah. And it, it, the the crazy thing is, is, when you look and even when we were playing them, the thought that their bullpen was the the you know the worst in baseball when you're looking at the ERA wise, it's just it's funny to think that because you don't 
you know, on surface, you're looking at them and you're like, how is that even possible? Like, is right. it really that bad? Um, but with Miller down and, uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're, they're fighting for some, they're, they're, they're playing with some guys out there who they're just not used to throwing out there. So I think as you come down to it and now you have uh, ad, uh, a guy like Hand in there um, with Miller coming back, it's going to be pretty nasty. Yankees are going to Tampa for three games. It's going to be Severino, CeCe, and Sessa. Um, that is, uh, then they're coming back home quickly after that. It's an easy schedule coming up. Tampa, Kansas City, and Baltimore. Got to take advantage of this. Uh, Glaber is rehabbing right now with single A. Um, so I'm exp- I think they said he might rejoin the team on that third game down in Tampa. That'd be great to get him back. Um, but like we said, got to take advantage of these weak games right now. No, that's the case. I mean, you look at the schedule and you're like, okay, there's there's some light. You can we can do damage against these teams. We can win. We you know whip off a, a nice little winning streak. But again, they got to start taking advantage of these teams um, that are not playing well and, and that are not being uh, have not been good. Tampa is is another one of those teams that you know <laughs> at the beginning of the season we said undefeated against Tampa Bay. Obviously, that's not happening, and that didn't happen. Uh, they've they've become uh, they've come out and been a much better team than I think most people expected. So that's not easy, especially the way that they play us. They, they, they play, Tampa plays the Yankees well for whatever reason. Um, but you got to be, especially Baltimore, with, uh, you know, without Machado now, the one guy that was hurting us, got to be able to crush them and then Kansas City, same thing. All right, Scott, nice work today. You powered through. You made it to uh, this far. And I'm going to try and uh, take the mailbags from here. So. We thank you for your service. <laughs> thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna go try to relieve the golf ball out of my throat right now. Tiger Woods right. was uh, was trying to. Yeah, I can't even talk. Good good job, Tiger. Tiger was almost. He was back. Then he wasn't back. And now he's not back anymore. No, All right. Stay tuned for mailbags. Keep your hat on, Tiger. Keep your hat on. <laughs> okay, I'm back. I'm on my own. First time flying solo on the podcast. So this is going to be. Quite interesting, I think. We're going to get to mailbag questions uh, quickly, though. I just want to remind you guys, August 18th event is on sale now. That's the 1998 celebration game. That's going to be a lot of fun. Bronx Pinstripes team, this was before we were doing events. We're actually at the 96 game a couple years ago. That's when they they brought out everybody. It it was really cool. It's kind of like a second old-timers day, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Pre-game for that one is going to be at the dugout. Like I said, go get those tickets now. And then also the September 15th event is the last one of the year. That's a 4 p.m. game. All the details about the pregame are still uh, TBD, so stay tuned. But you can still purchase those um, in advance now. Um, rate and review the podcast in iTunes. I know we give away T-shirts. Uh, we have not done so in a while. So next episode, we will be giving away a T-shirt. All you have to do is rate and review us on, on iTunes. Make it good. Make it funny. Make it uh, whatever you want it to be. If we like it, we uh, you might win a T-shirt. And also submit mailbag questions. Do, to do that, go to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. You can tweet us at Yankees Podcast and post them in the Facebook group. I usually send out a post asking for mailbag questions every week, so you can just reply to that one. Mailbags. First one is actually from the Facebook group. We got a couple about uh, Justice Sheffield. So from Ryan Rorig and Tanner James, they asked, do you think Sheffield might come up and pitch for the second half? I really think at this point to trade for another reliever and work uh, with what we have makes more sense. The field of starters seems to get worse by the day unless someone else becomes trade worthy. That's the thing like we just talked about, like I just talked about with Scott. The trade, the the... The players out there in the trade market are are scary. If you're trading away assets for guys like Hap and Hamels, Fulmer before he got injured, he was having a bad year. These guys, they don't get you excited. Sonny Gray last year got us excited. Unless they go out and shock the world and get DeGrom or get Madison Bumgarner, which we've all agreed is not realistic, we're not going to be really excited by, by these players coming in. We will, be supr- we will be excited if Justice Sheffield gets a start. Boone said on Friday night that Justice is, quote, very close to being an option for them. Now, who knows what that means? Does that mean option to take the fifth starter role, to get a spot start? If uh, Sessa goes out there and shits the bed, then they're, they're, they'll move on to the next guy, and that next guy is going to be Justice Sheffield. Um, I don't know if they're going to hand him the keys to a rotation spot. Um, that's all kind of... Up in the air. Um, I think something to keep an eye on is his innings limit. So 
Justice only threw 98 innings last year. His high was 127 in 2015, and then he threw 125 in 2016. And he's already at 90 innings now. So if Justice Sheffield gets the a start and gets and pitches well and stays in the rotation, there will be a point in the season where they have to shut him down because they're not going to jeopardize his long-term career and push him much past 140, 150 innings. I don't know what the exact number is going to be. But if you look, like I just said, he hasn't pitched over 120 innings since 2015 and 2016. So they're not going to push him deep in, into his innings. Um, it's just not going to happen. Uh, I would love to see him come up. I think he's got, we all hope he's got top of the rotation type of potential. Um, and he came up from double A this year, moved into triple A, has been pitching well, but we've seen other guys come up from double A and, and struggle like Loisica and um, I mean, Herman was struggling too. So I don't know. We'll see with Sheffield. I, I hope they give him a chance, but I also am going to keep an eye on that innings limit. Uh, we saw it also when Severino came back up in 2015. He was pitching well, um, and that was all, all in the back of our minds. Well, what are they going to do with his innings limit? Didn't really play much of a factor. They didn't make the playoffs or anything um, you know, past the wild card game, but Severino did help them down the stretch in 2015. Next question. Brandon Barboza at NY Giants fan 1993 on Twitter. With starting pitching a need, should the Yankees go after controllable pitchers like Archer to help strengthen their their pitching rotation or grab another arm for the bullpen like Britain? Uh, quick, so Britain, he's still out there. The, the Orioles are still trying to trade Britain. Um, he would definitely just replace Shreve despite the fact that Shreve just... Uh, save the Yankees' ass over the weekend, but he would be that other lefty out of the bullpen they need. Uh, he's not going to be the closer. He's not going to be the eighth-inning guy. He probably isn't even going to be the set seventh-inning guy. I think they would use him uh, more than they use Sharif, but he's still going to be the lefty that comes in when they need him. Uh, but already the Yankees have the best bullpen in baseball. They're first in ERA, they're first in strikeouts, and they're first in OPS allowed. Now, adding Britain doesn't make the bullpen worse, but it's almost like what we talked about when the Yankees were, were trying to add Machado. You know, it's, it's, it's making a strength of your team stronger, which isn't a bad thing, but um, it's not the real issue, which is starting pitching. Now, if you're telling me they're going to add another bullpen arm, maybe two bullpen arms, um, they still have Canely in the minors, and they're just going to say, screw it, let's go bullpenning, let's do what Tampa's doing, it's clearly working for Tampa, the fifth day is going to be Luis Cesar, it's going to be Herman. it's going to be somebody for three innings, get what we can out of them, and then move on to the bullpen, okay, that, that could be interesting, that might, that might be better options than what they have, uh, that's something Cashman's going to have to decide. Archer, um, so Archer has been in the past, great pitcher in the AL East. I've always liked Archer. This year, he's not doing well. He's been he's been injured. He's been struggling. I know the the Rays were bringing him back kind of slowly, um, but he's recently expressed his desire to win. He didn't necessarily pull a Degrom and say uh, trade me or sign me. I mean, he's already signed, but he expressed his desire to win in Tampa or elsewhere. So it'll be. I mean, I, I, even though the, the Rays are surprising people, they're around 500, I don't think they're, they're really competing this season. So do they trade Evaldi? Do they trade Archer? I don't think they're going to trade Blake Snell, but that's another guy people have been, been tossing around there. Archer would be under contract through 2021, and he's reasonable. He's only making $11 million a year. He doesn't make more than $11 million in any season through 2021. So maybe Cashman would say, I'll take Archer, and hope he can turn back into the 2015-2016 Archer instead of the 2017-2018 Archer. Again, that might be risky, but you might be taking a risk with anybody you take. Next question, Stephen Aherns. I think I said that incorrectly. How much of a difference would Jordan Montgomery have made if he was healthy? This was a good question. So I went back. Montgomery last uh, season through 29 starts, 155 innings. Um, and this year, six starts, 27 and a third innings. He was pitching to a 362 ERA. Perhaps uh, he, his actual ERA was better 
than uh, some of his peripherals. His FIP was 421, and he had a 135 whip. So, uh, you know, the results were okay. The, some of the extra stuff with Montgomery, some of the other stats that um, we like to look at now maybe weren't as great. But last year, he had a really, really solid rookie season. Like I said, 155 innings, 388 ERA, 407 FIP, and a 123 whip. He was absolutely a big part of their rotation last year. And then when the Yankees were looking to add starting pitching in the offseason, and when Michael Fulmer was was rumored, Scott and I would would say, well, is Michael Fulmer going to give you a better season than Jordan Montgomery is going to give you? And we didn't expect Montgomery to need Tommy John surgery. Obviously, that hurts. Uh, I, he was out. He was already injured, so they already needed starting pitching. But let's just play the game and say Montgomery was healthy this entire season. Would the Yankees' pitching rotation be better? Obviously. But I still think they would need starters. I still think Cashman would be doing exactly what he's doing now, looking for starting pitching. If you look at Herman and Loisica and you combine their, their stats this year— They've uh, and how many innings they've pitched. So they've averaged five innings, just barely five innings per start. I know that may be surprising, but Herman actually gave you some length when he first uh, when he first entered the rotation. So five innings a start out of the Herman and Loisica tandem. Last year, Montgomery averaged a little over five and a third innings. So even if you want to round up to five and two thirds innings, he was giving you two extra outs per start than what the Yankees have gotten out of Herman and Loisica. He obviously was giving you not only more innings, but he was giving you uh, better quality innings because his ERA was lower. So it comes back to the same thing. Yes, the Yankees would be in a better spot with Montgomery, but they would still be on the trade market. Maybe they wouldn't be going after Happ and Hamels and guys like that because they already have a version of that in Montgomery, but they would be going for something. And and I don't know what exactly that would be, but... Um, now what we're talking about with Montgomery is he's going to come back. He's going to try and rehab next spring. He's not going to be ready to, to start because he didn't have the surgery until, I want to say like June, late May, June is when he had the surgery. So it's a 12-month recovery period for starting pitchers. So we're looking at Montgomery as a second-half option for the Yankees next year. Um, uh, this next question is from Justin McElrath, who is uh, part of the Bronx Pinstripes team. He posted this on Facebook in the Facebook group. Uh, when will Ellsbury return? Now, I am fairly certain he was posting this sarcastically, but I'll entertain it. So as of now, Ellsbury has just been one injury after the other, one fake injury after the other, whether it's gout, whether it's turf toe, whether it's his back, his neck, uh, you know, whatever it is, he has an upset stomach. He's got diarrhea. They just keep putting him back on the DL, extending the time that he's not uh, just in the locker room. Uh, but what happens? When will that end? It might end. He might prove that, he, look, I'm healthy. I can come back and contribute. Then what do you do? I think they're going to keep making up fake injuries for the rest of the year. I don't think they want to deal with the problem that is Jacoby Ellsbury for the rest of the year. And like problem meaning just the, 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 the media talk that will be around Ellsbury. Well, what are you doing? You're paying him all this money. Why isn't he playing? Is he on your roster? That kind of shit that I just don't think the Yankees need. We know they don't need another outfielder. They don't even have a spot for Clint Frazier, never mind Jacoby Ellsbury. But next year, what happens if he's in spring training and he's healthy and he's okay in spring training? Are the Yankees going to cut him? Are they going to pull an A-Rod? That's what I would do, but I don't know if uh, the Steinbrenners will, will want to do that. He's, um, I believe, signed through 2020. Let me look that up right now. Um, they only ate a year off of A-Rod. I don't know if they're going to eat multiple years off of Ellsbury. Um, looking at his contract now. So he has signed through 2020 and then a, a $21 million team option in 2021. I do not see the Yankees picking that option up. Um so, yeah, everyone's just hoping Ellsbury just goes away. Just eat the money, save face, go away, Ellsbury. Last question, Mike Azaro. Will you consider the season a success with anything less than a return to the ALCS? And a very quick gut reaction answer, no. It would not be a success if the Yankees lose, obviously, in the wild card game. That would be, I think, a disaster. 
if they lose in the division series, say they lose to, I mean, they lose to the Red Sox. That's, that's, you know, you can't have that happen. That's going to be, um, uh, DEFCON one. If the Yankees lose to the, the Red Sox in the American league division series, which is how it would line up right now. The Red Sox have the best record in baseball. They're going to get home field advantage. They're going to play the wild card team, which means the Yankees, if they win that wild card game, would have to go to Fenway for the five game series. Um, they lose that series. It's going to be ugly. I don't think anyone would consider losing in the playoffs to the Red Sox, Red Sox a success. But if they lose to Cleveland, even though they beat Cleveland last year, they lose to Houston again in the uh, American League Division Series, people are not going to be happy. They're not going to be happy unless they get back to the ALCS. And really, if they, make, they need to make the World Series. I mean, they brought in – that's how fans are going to look at it. They need to make the World Series. Keep taking steps forward. They brought in uh, – the National League MVP in Stanton. This is no longer your lovable bunch of ragtag Yankees, all the kids. No, you just added one of the most high-profile guys in baseball. You made your team better. You have World Series aspirations. If you ask anybody uh, in the Yankees, on their their team, in their organization, it is not a success at the very least unless they get back to the ALCS. It's a good question, though. All right, that's it for mailbags. Um, I hope I did not uh, bore you guys too much just talking solo here. It wasn't as difficult as I thought it was going to be, but I, I certainly don't like it as much as, as having uh, a co-host to bounce things off of. Um, so Scott will obviously be back on the next show full time. Hopefully he is uh, recovered. And uh, I'm off to head to the, the BP crew event. So hopefully the Yankees can take this Sunday night game. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.